Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina and this is the 14th narrative journey into creative business ideas and how they transform individuals and communities. Before we get into today's episode, I'm very pleased to announce that Regeneration Studio will give away one voucher each month to one of its newsletter subscribers. These vouchers will be usable with local businesses that I interview. All you have to do is subscribe to my newsletter. It's as easy as that. You can just go to my website, regenerationstudio.co.uk and right at the bottom is the subscription link. The first of these will be dedicated to the business I'm interviewing today, 14 Drops. As a speciality wine and cheese shop, they have shaken up people's perception of what is good wine, especially in the Northeast. They are doing something few others are doing and what they offer their customers is definitely unique. You will be hard pressed to find their products easily anywhere else. So today we are going to find out why their wines are so incredible and why it is worth dropping in at their laid back wine bar on Yarm High Street. I'll be talking to founder and sommelier Fiona McLean, a very hard-working woman and very passionate about what she does. And she started a new concept in promoting the best in wines and also the wines we don't know about in 2017. We were meant to do this interview just before lockdown, but in between the chaos, we never got round to it. So we'll be chatting about wine, of course, discover why natural wines might be a better option and also delve a little bit into some fine cheese and charcuterie. But more than anything, we'll be remembering that life is never finished. There's always something more to learn, something more to explore and something more to enjoy. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Hello there. 14 Drops itself has become a very special place to me. The first time that I saw their wine selection displayed on the wooden shelving like tempting short stories hiding mysterious tastes, it became one of my favourite spots for a quiet evening drink. There is no pretense, just an excellent wine selection. At once homely and sophisticated, the interior transports you away from the liveliness of the high street into botanical warmth surrounded by the glow of lights and elegant wooden tables. The finishing touch is always Fiona's welcoming smile. So what is behind the smile? To give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called 14 Drops. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Oh, gosh. I'd say we... Yeah, you've summed it up pretty well. We we aim to be somewhere where people can can come and escape a little bit, get away, um, relax. Whether it's a coffee, a glass of wine, a little bit of a nibble, um, and just somewhere really that's that's focused around the the good good wines, good good food, cheese and charcuterie. As you've briefly said, is what our our main kind of food offering is, and everything really is built around going with with the wine itself. So rather than we 
we don't put wine to food we always pair the food to the wine because that's our background that's our main uh, main interest as it were and yeah I'll try and offer somewhere that uh, no matter who can come and have a bit of time out and enjoy it and learn something if they're interested or just sit there and have a have a good glass of wine sounds really great part one the origins of 14 drops Wine is in my blood. Having grown up in one of the best wine producing countries, South Africa, it has played a major role in my life every step of the way. And it is one thing I cannot imagine living without. So I've been looking forward to our conversation for a very, very long time. The origins of the name 14 Drops is fascinating. Can you tell us what the old family saying means and where it comes from? Yeah, it was that we were struggling with the name when we first started to open. It was one of those, I guess people say, it either comes to you straight away or it's like the last thing you do. And for us, it was kind of quite hard to find something that we felt summed us up, but kind of also was a bit different. Um, and it was actually my cousin as well who was helping us with the branding. She does a lot of work doing naming, branding and graphic design. So she started playing around with the logo for us. And we'd kept an old saying of my granddad's, which was that there's always 14 drops left in a bottle of wine. And we'd kept that as, as really our kind of pinpoint. So she started playing around with the, with the drops, which is anyone who will know our logo creates 14 drops. And it came out of the grape. She started working. We always wanted to be around natural bases. Our wines are natural. So we wanted a, a brand that kind of worked alongside that and expressed what we are, but kept it something elegant and something quite user-friendly and instantly recognisable as, as us. And so she started working with the grape itself and that bunch kind of worked with the 14 drops. So I'm just going to give you the what they wrote down for us, which is something that we have on a little slip that we give out with our menus and bits like that. So having drunk a bottle of wine, preferably with friends and family, the empty bottle should be upturned over a glass, don't waste it. And despite appearances, 14 drops are always, always still to be had. Briefly explain there, it was an old saying of my granddad's who sadly passed away, um, but left me the money to be able to, to do this uh, dream of opening something. And he would always say, you know, there's always 14 drops left in, left in a bottle of wine. And it's had a nice thing. It had a sharing connotation around it. It had something welcoming. Uh, something a little bit different but also the branding worked for those grapes forming the wine itself which is something we really want to to kind of play with is the wine staying as natural as possible working on having less chemical manipulations so it all tied together really nicely and then we were visiting my partner's family in Italy and there was a, a kind of saying that came out that was similar over there in an older generation but it was around 13 drops and they use it more philosophically, like nothing's ever finished. There's always something left, even when you think it's gone. So we just really liked it. It seemed to work and come together. And so that's where we got our name from. That's a great story. And I, I really like the, the name. It does capture that special moment that you have with wine and then always looking for that extra bit that's still left. As previously mentioned, 14 Drops has an absolutely magnificent wine list. And these are from all over the world. In the bar, the menu the customer would get has uh, some information about tasting notes and grape origins, 
but nothing too complicated. And your current online list is slightly longer as it does include all the wines you stock. The thing about your wine is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's hard to find anywhere else as you support various smaller wineries. So your knowledge of wine and your connection with these smaller wine farms are perhaps thanks to your training as a sommelier? Yeah, I think um, it came out very much when I moved into the buying side. Like you start to see, you can either go down that route where you get maybe a few more mass produced stuff. When I was buying for supermarkets, you're looking at kind of bottles that have to fit a, a you know, a six pound, seven pound price point. And so, and that's with your margins. So you're looking at kind of the cheaper end. And I got so um, disillusioned with that side, seeing the same wines over and over again. You know, you can get a, a chili and Sauvignon Blanc that tastes exactly the same as something else because they're trying to make it in that way. They're using yeasts that are cultured from, you know, a, a Marlborough Sauvignon that they're trying to get that flavor and bringing it over. And there's such an unnatural process involved and so many extra stages that aren't necessary to produce a good wine. And it takes some of the authenticity off it. So what I wanted to be able to do by, by opening was to look at the wines that I want to drink and showing the difference and how much better you can feel having drank them and the environmental impact it has as well, which is one of the reasons why we do a lot of the work with the key keg wines and all our house ones are served like that so we can do it on carafe and stuff so it's reusable and lessens a little bit of that uh, transportation. But yeah, I guess I'm lucky that I have a lot of really good producers and a lot of access to them by some very good importers that are based in the UK who are really championing this style of wine and to bring something a bit different you know we're not looking to create the same the same wine list as anyone else locally because we think there's more to offer um, but we we want to make sure we're giving customers something different for me when I was buying for a department store it was very obvious that Customers are intrigued and have a want for knowledge, but they're also can be a little bit timid and maybe not, they don't want to come forward and necessarily ask it. You've got to give them like bite-sized bits without throwing information at them. And also you could go into any other part of this department store, whether it's cosmetics, menswear, women's wear, kids wear, and try things on before you buy it. And worst case, you've still got a time to bring that back if you're not sure. Obviously, you can still bring a wine back if you get home and you're not sure. That's not a problem. But what you can't really do is try it on, see if it works, and then bring it back. And so I kind of wanted to create a concept where it takes some of that stress away because then you can see why people stick to wine trends because they they get to know about something and then they get a consistently similar style time in, time out. So they'll stick to that one grape or that one region. And you see these little fashion trends happening. And what we wanted to do is be able to shake that up because in the industry, you go to so many tastings and you taste uh, a lot and it's very much done to no expense to you really because the people we're buying wines from want to show you what's on offer outside of these popular wines. So we're able to develop, I guess, a palette that extends a little bit more. And so we wanted to be able to get people to try stuff. So we, we change the wine list every few weeks. We always have a guest wine that changes pretty much daily. And 
we're able therefore to push new things a little bit more readily available than say a restaurant or a bar which changes their list maybe once or twice a year and is mostly there for margin bases rather than for the wine itself I guess. Yes and I think it's this concept that I mean I don't know about other people but for me as a wine enthusiast it's really interested me and got me going back to 14 drops over and over again because I know there's going to be a new wine there's something else to taste there's a new region to discover so that's really great. Now just on the sommelier side of things can you maybe just briefly explain what training is involved and where did you end up working before you decided okay I'm going to open my own wine shop uh, or and bar? Yeah, I started life uh, with Rockcliffe Hall. I started out as their commis sommelier, which was great. I was under a fantastic head sommelier, Grace Madison, at the time. We had such a good seller there. At the time, we were building it up to about 1,500 bins. And that meant we could really play around with with different styles and and have a big opportunity. We had some great fine wines. And obviously, we we had the customers that were really interested in that. So it was a really good basis, um, and I was able to work up there. And then I I moved to buying, and I moved into working for a small a small wine merchant in North Yorkshire, and we bought directly from vineyards. That was amazing because it allowed me to work with dealing with other currencies, but also maybe we we dealt with much less in terms of bin numbers but we worked much more in depth, so we'd be buying a lot more volume. So that was good training in that respect. And then I found a kind of nice midpoint when I when I went up to Fennec as one of their wine buyers, and I looked after their restaurant wine list, so I did a sommelier job in that respect. I was still on the shop floor as well, dealing with customers, which I really missed when I was solely buying, was having that lack of direction with customers and with the people. And then I was also allowed to do the buying, find new products, and put new products out that I thought people would learn to love. And we were able to work with the pneumatic machines to kind of get a start on that idea where I wanted people to just try more. And then I went to uh, House of Tides up in up in Newcastle for a while as a sommelier uh, just before I opened. So kind of had a bit of a mixed bag, a few other, few other bits in between, but those have been the ones that have really kind of, I think, pushed my my direction and pushed me where I where I end up now. And it kind of really stood out with me as key places. Yes, those are some interesting roles that you had. And you mentioned the volume versus bins. Now, just for a listener who perhaps have no idea what that refers to, can you briefly explain? Yeah, of course. So when we, because we were buying to supply restaurants or um, wine shops or we did some personal bits. So we would have to make sure we had enough to supply a restaurant with like a house wine. So if they order suddenly eight cases a week, we have to have that in stock. So we'd have a big warehouse where we'd buy pallets of each wine. So rather than when you're working as a sommelier, you're the one buying the case numbers. So you'll be saying, right, I'm going to get, you know, I need uh, three cases of my house one or like a couple of bottles of something more expensive, which you don't want to be buying a whole case of and tying your, your stock up when you know you're not going to sell it for quite a while Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of a I guess you can look at more of a wholesale business in that respect so you're you're going for slow lower margins but bulk product whereas on the flip side when you're a sommelier you're working on higher margins but less product volume but then the other side of the industry which was one of the reasons why I I guess I left that trade is 
it's hard when you're working in a restaurant and you're told that you have to work on exactly, you know, a 70, 75, 80% GP and suddenly a wine sits on, you know, 19 pounds or whatever. And, you know, that's probably not worth, worth that compared to what you'd pay in a shop. And mm -hmm. I think that's something people are starting to see a lot more is kind of, they know that your house wines are often just there for a price point and, it was something that we wanted to to kind of find a hybrid between because obviously you know it's a business we have to make some money to survive yeah. but and pay my mortgage um but it trying to do it in the in the right way so that's why we we started with the corkage um on the shop price we're not taking a full restaurant margin it's we just look at the slight two prices on there and that enables us to as I say work through more wine we have a bigger selection we have about 250 wines in normally uh, because we buy smaller quantities because these guys that we work with as you said before they're small growers they're small farmers we sometimes will only get you know a few cases per year mm -hmm. so when they've gone they've gone okay and that's how we try and keep it we try and keep it ever ever changing ever evolving really all right and then you said that uh, the training of a sommelier is drinking a lot of wine. That's the fun side. That's fun side. The hard part is, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot more science than people realize because you really go back to your biology chemistry days with mm -hmm. the fermentation process, the growing process. There's a lot of self-travel that you have to put in because it's often the best way to learn is to go and visit these places. Yeah. You'll know coming from a, a country I mean we're we're seeing England produce more and more and that's great but not to the volume and the scale that it's readily available like back in your home country and that I think establishes inside a little bit more you see them growing you understand how they grow why they grow you can get that access quite readily by going to the cellar doors and so suddenly there's a little bit more natural knowledge I guess and you grow up with it in a different way I, I think than some people outside of those homegrown countries do. There's lots of lots of reading, you know, it's the best way of learning. But for me, you can do your exams, you can do your qualifications, which I've done and I'm grateful for all the places that have helped put me through those. But for me, the biggest thing you can do is experience, you know, it's working in the industry, it's, uh, it is tasting. Um, I say tasting, not drinking. Mm -hmm. yeah, two different things. <laughs> Don't confuse them. <laughs> Depends on the day. And yeah, we're we're fortunate that we've got we've got great connections in the north now coming out. We're getting much more people having like wine fairs outside of London. Mm -hmm. So there is, there is still an element of travel there because all your big shows each year are down there or the new wines are there or the new vintages. But it's really nice to see that every merchant and a lot more smaller independent merchants are doing more and more tastings up in the north. So we are able to find some new wines quite easily. Obviously, we try and do some of that on our own as well and, and find some vineyards. But we, we work a lot with importers already because we just don't have the the space with this shop it's so small to actually hose too much of our own wines um maybe something that'll be look that we'll look at in the future but i think at the minute we're trying to just get through this year <laughs> <laughs> i think that's how everyone's feeling 
What inspired you to open 14 Drops? I guess it's just to show the wines that I want to drink. We don't buy something that we don't like. Um, and both me and my partner who've worked in the wine industry for many years, you go through phases where you, you're buying wines that you maybe don't like, you don't necessarily agree with, but you know it's because they're going to sell. And we both got a bit disillusioned with that and said, well, hang on, why are we doing this? Because we don't like talking about them, we don't like drinking them, so why are we selling them? So then we wanted to be able to have full control and say, you know what, we we can recommend this, we can talk to you about it. We know a lot of these um, these winemakers personally and we're quite lucky that we get a lot coming over and joining us in the bar um, be, because we've, we've managed to get these connections, which is lovely. And that's something we, we really enjoy welcoming them over to talk through. And that was really, I guess, the driving force was to be able to show the wines we want to show. Part two. Experience the world of wine. Fruity, crisp, dry, bold, citrus, vanilla, chocolate. The transformation and possibilities of grapes are fascinating. In order to promote an appreciation of these possibilities, you always stock new wines, as you mentioned, and you offer advice in terms of tasting notes. So can you perhaps tell us about the different kinds of wine that you prefer? Oh, God, I think that must be like asking someone what kids their favourite child. Um, <laughs> I'll go for phases. Um, I really like sparkling wines. That's my kind of home ground. That's my knowledge basis. That's my love. But if I had to pick a region, I'd say Italy's my favourite because okay. I guess I know them the most. That's kind of my specialty in terms of what I studied. I spent a lot of time kind of drinking Italian wines. Okay. Oh, but then, yeah, some days you want nothing more than to curl up by the fire with a good glass of red wine. Um, so is Italian wines more white wine? A nice mixture. I think there's so many. For me, what I love about Italian wines is that they've got the biggest amount of native varieties. So if we're looking at, you know, we've got under just under 3,000 vine producing types, like so different, which I think the word different varietals. Yeah. Italy has at least 1,500 of those okay. uh, around that, like one thousand, yeah, just over 1,000. So they have an incredible amount of native vines out of the world and you'll see them very much in like you know one village will only have this grape variety and you won't see it anywhere else but you might not even see it outside of Italy because it's such small production they just don't bother sending it out and it's all drank on domestic market so I just find it fascinating that you know you can kind of get lost in that world but then you've also you know growing up in the industry where I did in things like Rockcliffe and House of Tides you know you've got these amazing kind of Michelin style places where you do get an appreciation for the classics, you know, your your Bordeaux, your Burgundies, because you deal with them a lot mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you're really tasting them. And there's something there that is quite special with these big kind of famed places. But then, you know, you've got the flip side of that. It's like fashion. Often you'll pay for, for a brand on top. Um, yeah. So it's figuring out what's worth it and what's, you know, mm-hmm. it's like when you get that cashmere coat that actually is 10% cashmere made in China as opposed to a proper cashmere coat that's made by Italian tailors in Italy and is going to last you for life. It's trying to find that balance of are you paying for a brand or the actual quality. All right. Well, that makes sense. And I think that's the other thing that I love about your place is that you kind of like guide 
customers in a direction they might not have considered, sometimes away from perhaps those big names and so on. And that way we can discover all, all kinds of new wines. 14 Drops happened to be the last place I went to before the start of lockdown, initially in March. That evening, you introduced me to new wine, as always, some crisp, light, citrusy wines from southern France, in this case, and Spain. And that would have been perfect for a late, balmy summer's afternoon. I eventually settled for a red uh, Rioja from Spain, because it was that right combination of warmth and sweetness to offer comfort during, well, a very uncertain time. How do you choose your wines? I think you have touched a little bit on this. And then how do you encourage people to try new wines? So we we try, we know that obviously, as I say, we want to select wines that we want to drink, but we know we have to cover a general basis as well, because what we like maybe other people don't so we try and look at balancing it between regions countries styles there's some oak in there there's some unoaked there's some like fruity there's some really full-bodied powerful ones and try and get a nice mixture of this as a whole from that we therefore we need to have a nice range of, of price points not everyone wants to come and spend you know over 20 pounds so we need to have some that's fit under but then also we need some wines that fill other gaps if people want something a little bit more special a little bit more rare we do some auction buys to get some some kind of unique parcels that we are really proud to have so there's a bit of a balancing act in that respect but in terms of every single wine we we look at judging them on would we drink it do we agree with how it's being produced and is it something we're happy to show and also because the way we work we work with smaller producers, we work with natural producers. So for anyone not sure about that, basically we're looking at wineries that are not doing so many chemical manipulations in terms of spraying fertilizers. Uh, they're mostly organic or biodynamic, which is a step above um, organic. So using things like natural fertilizers as opposed to a chemical base and adding as minimal sulfides as needed to keep the wine preserved. So. They are great as a preservative and obviously if you're if you're sending over a book shipment and you need that to sit on the supermarket shelf for potentially a year, two years, you're going to want to make sure that will last because you don't want to have issues with people bringing them back or whatever. We have the luxury that we, we can interact with our customers more than say, you know, a big supermarket can. And so we can talk people through why the wine will be in a certain way, why it might have a sediment and how that can actually give you the extra flavor. So there is a little bit of an element of we know we have to work harder in a way to, to encourage that. And we're lucky that our customers take that on board and are quite excited in a way about it. As, as much as we can, we, we work with, winemakers that can do stuff a really nice way of putting it is like if they can fix the land using so if you look at biodynamics they'll use things like cover crops to make its own microorganism so then hopefully um, when you get the biodiversity of the soil right you don't have to do so many chemical sprays because your your land is working itself almost if you can get to a stage where you've got healthy grapes doing that and you're not having to go ahead and and change a load of things chemically 
that's got to be better for the environment. It's got to be better for what we're drinking. There's a lot of chemicals that we use still in the wineries that aren't allowed in the food chain. And so you wonder why we can drink it but can't eat it. And ultimately, having something that comes from, you know, grapes are natural and why do we need to put so many other processes in? One of the big companies I work with who I really respect, the the owner, he had a really good quote saying, because they run a, a wine fair called the Real Wine Fair, and they asked him, why does he say real wines? And he was like, well, actually, my wines are all real wines. Everyone else's wines that aren't produced like this should be a wine with an addition. And I can kind of see that point. Why do we have to add so much extra to it? Uh, there's an interest, like really interesting thing in the industry where we're talking about ingredient labeling and as much as I can see the the pros and cons for it I think it would be interesting to highlight to people what goes into their wine because I think so many people think it is just pressed grape juice um, that's fermented and that is the ideal but also there are times when you have to intervene and it's a bit like looking at I guess growing or raising kids you want them to be the best they can. You want them to be their own person and you try and steer them in the right direction. And if it looks like it's going off course, you maybe intervene a little, nudge them back, but you don't want to control it too much. And that for us is a kind of what we look for. That's why we go and visit the wineries and then we know the the people so we can kind of see, see what's happening. And for us, we want to know either the grape, the winemaker or the region. So if the wine tells us a story that, is great rather than it just being a Sauvignon Blanc and you don't know where it's from. It could just be a general grape. It's just dry and crisp. <laughs> well, these are things I didn't even know. So I am absolutely fascinated. I'm going to read up a little bit more about this. Strangely enough, it wasn't the wine that got me hooked on 14 drops. It was your cocktails. <laughs> so on the particular night that I went there for the first time, it was a Heppelgen Martini cocktail that caught my eye. And within minutes, I had the best dry martini I've ever had in my life. So before lockdown, I'd go to the small wine bar for a weekday glass of wine or the Heppelgen Martini. Sometimes I would go there on a Sunday too. And occasionally have a piece of camembert, stilton, some Italian cheese, whatever you had on offer. And this also got served with wonderful onion chutney. I do not know where you get these from. Gherkins and crackers. And all of these products are now available to order online from your website. So 14 Drops offer a range of food items of the finest quality and from different places. I think this is great. And it just gives you that the products that you wouldn't normally discover. How do you select your cheeses, charcuterie, and other products? Similar way to our wines, we aim to do it with as much integrity as we can and put them out at a fair price, but getting a fair product. So we're not looking for the cheapest meats, the cheapest cheeses. We want to work with suppliers that we trust, we can talk to, we can get their, their input from, and they'll help to guide us as well. Because, you know, I love cheese that's, being a sommelier you always kind of end up gravitating to the cheese board because you'll be pairing wines with it so you learn a lot more about them as you go so you you pick up a decent cheese knowledge with the job but 
it's not my, you know, my end game is the wines. And we've got so much of the stuff to learn anyway with everything that goes on in here that we wanted to work with suppliers that give us great products because my staff aren't chefs. We don't have a chef on site. We aim to put things, we basically put things on a plate and we want the food to talk for itself. So we're not trying to hide behind a cooking technique or anything like that, which which obviously is great to have and do, but we don't have the size or the luxury of having a chef here. So we, we needed products that were, were good. We don't want to just put anything down there. So we work predominantly cheese-wise, we work with Neil Jard Dairy in London, um, who are mature, is based uh, in, well, originally Neil Jard, um, and now they have a, their maturing like caves are in the arches in Bermondsey but they've got a few shops they've got one in um, Borough Market and still obviously the Neil Jard in Common Garden so they're great because they they mature the cheeses and they'll only release them when they're ready which is why we have a nice ever-changing selection we don't keep it the same and I can ring them and say I've got these wines on at the minute what can you recommend and they they'll send me something new and exciting but I know I'm getting the best English cheese that I can get and I love to support the British Isle cheesemakers because they do such a great job and I think particularly now during this where so many have been faced with massive hardships and literally having to just pour the milk away because there's an odd rule where you can't use the milk for the cheese industry into just general milk so they've had to obviously some of them are, are just literally pouring it away so we've really had a push on on supporting British Isle cheeses at the minute and yeah that's something we're really going to focus on for the remainder of the year is really trying to kind of cut down on some of the imported ones uh, not because they're not good and we would still have some to keep a bit of diversity but just really to try and focus on some of these cheesemakers that are doing such a good job and we would hate to to lose. Charcuterie I am very lucky to have an Italian partner who's very clued up on what what's good, what isn't. He'll look at a you know a producer from Italy and be like, you know, no, you don't want that. It's crap. And so he kind of heads up that side, and um, he he works with our Italian importers, and we do a little bit with some Spanish guys to keep a bit of variation. We do some little bits with Block and Bottle up in uh, Gateshead as well, who do some fantastic uh, British charcuterie. Um, so we'll occasionally get these in as guest appearances um, because I think what they're doing is absolutely fantastic and we love to keep it local and in the, in the Northeast family. And again, it comes down to everything. You know, we, we try and just make sure that what we, we taste it first, we want it to give us a flavor, give us something that is, you know, everything we buy meat-wise, we, we cut on a machine here. We don't get anything that's been backpacked because uh, you lose the taste as soon as you start to cut it. And, you know, I think everything like that, where you're trying to preserve something for three months, you have to, again, use a chemical addition to preserve it. So they put more sulfides in. And so we make sure we hand cut everything pretty much to order. Um, and I think that's one of the main things we try and do. You know, we're not, as I say, trying to hide behind big chefs or anything. We're just trying to say that there is, as I said before, all the foods here to go with the drinks because, like... You do, you know, when you're in somewhere abroad as well, you should have a drink, you want a little nibble. And it's having enough option, but without kind of flooding our main concept of the wines, let's say. Part three, wine is the answer. 
What was the question? We seem to be going back to a sort of state of normality. Many businesses obviously had to come up with action plans for how to carry on and adapt to the mandate of social distancing and also maybe having a more of a presence online. How did you adapt to the situation? And feel free to talk a little bit about the virtual tasting sessions and so forth. Thank you. Yeah, I guess it was it was all started pretty much in a kind of, I think most people went into survival mode and we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know anything about who could get grants, who couldn't. At the beginning, it was all very much like, what do we do now? And we tried as much as we could to keep things going, not normally, but to supply those wines that people wanted. And that naturally came with some people ordering ordering through us. We, on the night that we shut down, we'd obviously had a few people, some people booked in, so we made sure we called them all and we offered them to be able to take everything out. Uh, so that kind of was how it really started, was that it's a bit of a natural progression that people, yes, they wanted, they wanted the bits and so we were able to kind of get them packaged. And then it was a, a way of, figuring out how we could do that on a day-to-day basis. So we live an hour away from the shop. So it wasn't, we didn't want to be traveling every day. We didn't feel it was necessarily an essential journey at that stage. So we cut our hours down to keep um, to keep that to a minimum. And we obviously closed the shop to, to people coming in at first until we could kind of figure out how best to, to navigate this field. And started to just push that online bit. I mean, we're, we're still in the midst of building our full operational website. That's something that we're working on as much as we can while still keeping the shop open at the minute. So obviously we don't have the same staff level. So it's everything's a little bit, it's taking what feels like a long time at the minute, but we're trying to get there with that. We've really had to up our social media, which has been an interesting lesson for me because it was something that I guess I neglected in a way because... I'm always in the shop and I'm, you know, talking to customers and doing it. And then suddenly you realize you cannot post anything for three days and you really need to schedule that. And so it's been a lesson in how influential that is because I've really seen the difference with, with that happening. So it's, it's been able to give me a bit of a view of how to step back and look at the business going forwards, um, which has been really helpful and shown us that there is, there is other sides. So as you mentioned, the virtual tastings came out of, we were meant to have a tasting um, with a producer and we we thought about it and my, my partner already used Zoom beforehand. So he was very quick upon the mark to say, you know, we can still do this. We can get the wines out to people and we can continue that. And they were really, really well received. So the concept was that we would we'd pick either a theme or a producer or a style or a region and we'd we'd establish the wines and then we would do like a deal so we would deliver the whole bottles uh, for x amount of, and that included free local delivery and then the tasting sessions were done on a sunday night um, and we'd invite the producers in or we'd do it ourselves and it worked really, really well because people could do it from the comfort of their own home. It gave them something to do, as you say, when it was all a little bit up in the air. Nobody really knew exactly what was happening, but positively nobody really had to get up and drive to work on a Monday morning so we could host them. 
and one thing that's come out of it is people saying that they really want to see these continuing. So for a long time, we did these every every Sunday, and then we moved to Saturday when people some people started going back to work. And now we're looking at doing this probably once a month. So we are um, we're looking to open in some capacity on Sunday, but it uh, sorry on Saturday the fourth. But we're still just trying to kind of fully finalise our risk assessments and and space it out properly and make sure we know exactly where we're where we are in that respect. Um, and it'll be a bit of a fluid thing, I think, for pretty much most businesses in this industry for a while, trying to figure out the best course. You know, it will be a bit of trial and error because we've not done it before. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that's going to be interesting for the next few weeks is while we all figure out this, because a lot of people still don't feel comfortable coming out, whereas some people are desperate. So there's a real divide in terms of that. And I think the people who who aren't comfortable, we've still got the options for them to stay at home. We still want to be able to deliver packages. And so it's figuring out the, the difference between having enough staff to do that, enough workload for the staff. And so, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a mind game, but yes. we'll get there. No, you all. And then, I mean, we're all kind of in the same situation. So it's just a matter of like figuring it out. What would you say from the time you opened, having gone through this recently, is the most important thing you learned about running a business on the high street? Adapt, push, try new things. You've got, to, if something doesn't work, don't be afraid to say, well, that was, that was a crap idea. <laughs> because you you can't flog a dead horse at the end of the day and you've got to see what what works for your customers what works for you you get a natural intuition of you know who who your who your followers are and who who are the people that do it because you see them particularly on a high street like this you know we know our customers we get a lot of local return customers because we're not in a big city or big town where you get constant new influx of people and i love that about it because you really do get a sense of knowing the people um but the nice thing with having this um i guess online aspect and home aspect is we've been able to extend into a different side and and find some new followers because we are small at full capacity normally we can sit 23 people and so i guess a lot of people can't can't come always for then so we've been able to kind of expand our seating as it were in a way through these kind of virtual styles and you know where people have had to do these tastings with their own families you know they'd be able to in future have have people around have like a dinner party whilst they do it and maybe if people struggle for childcare, they'd be able to do it because they would they wouldn't need to necessarily come out but they could still do something with their partner that was not the same all the time and yeah, I guess, you know, the high street, there's a lot of talk about how the high street's going to survive, what they're doing. And yeah, there is obviously some uncertainty with that. Online is really taking off and, you know, we're finding that even in our sector. But what we've got to do is give people what you can't do. So we can change the wine list. We can give the information in store. We can get people to try wines and make sure they're happy with the right one. And that's something you can't do online. And people still come out for that atmosphere. So it's trying to figure out, I guess, for, for people what what pulls people into their shop, and and yeah, trial and error, I think, is the biggest thing, and and f adapting. You know, in this situation, 
you can't do anything but I guess because yeah. you know we've all got to try and survive that's very true we've heard the saying that a glass of red wine a day is good for your health unfortunately there's no hard proof for this fact but I believe there are some benefits and firstly I'd just like to know when did you decide you're going to make wine your life <laughs> it's a very good uh, question I I kind of fell into it really I, I was a costume designer that's what I did that's what I studied and loved the industry but left it to move home for various family reasons and to help out a little bit here and then didn't really want to go back into the industry freelancing in that respect you you know it's hard to get back in and not that it was just hard that makes it sound like I couldn't be bothered to put the work in but it was, you know, I've, I've, I remembered what it was like to be back up in, in North Yorkshire and I loved my hometown, still do. Um, and I didn't fancy going back, you know, obviously the big wine jobs are kind of, they're global, but there's so many down in places like London and city centres, uh, even Manchester's booming at the minute. But I was kind of more, I was happy around here and... Yeah, I didn't want to go back to do costume in, in Manchester or London and started thinking about other things that I could do and was was working in a bar at the time just to, whilst I figured out what, what I was going to do. And I'm lucky that my parents have always brought us up with, with good wine and good wine knowledge because they've travelled a lot, so they've lived in things like Australia. and So they've always had a little bit of a a want to, to develop different styles. So I guess a few a few life factors in that respect. And then I just started thinking I'd be actually really interested to learn a bit more. And I started doing my WSCTs off my own back. And then I, I found my commie sommelier job in Rockcliffe and I just thought I want I want to do that. And luckily got the job and managed to work up from there. So it was a bit of a it was a bit of a random choice. It was a bit like, right, I'm gonna do that and then I did it. <laughs> I love, I love the industry. It's a really welcoming industry. I'll admit that it's something I've considered as well. What do you think about the potential health benefits of wine? As you said, like a lot of, there is a lot of research kind of, some say that it's great, some say that it's, you know, it's still alcohol. Red wine or skin contact wines are often deemed better because they have the time, because it's a bit like a potato or something like that. A lot of the nutrients are in the skin. So if you're discarding that, like you do for a white wine where you just press it and you take just the juice, you're kind of taking away a lot of that benefits. So when we look at orange or skin contact wines or red wines, which are all macerated with the skins through fermentation, a lot of those nutrients get drawn out a bit more and stay in the final product. So obviously that lovely red color that comes from, from red wine fermentation has these skin pigments in which hold a lot of the anti-inflammatory properties, a lot of antioxidants. So obviously there are examples showing that things like that red wine skin can still be beneficial. I think it's like everything you have, everything in moderation is always the best way of looking at things, I guess. Don't get me wrong, there have been many days where I've probably gone to excess. And I think, you know, particularly during lockdown, I think we've all, possibly yeah. reach for the wine bottle yeah exactly 
Um, one of the things we try and do is we try and look at better wine rather than more wine. So we would encourage people to drink a bit less but better. Um, but also we understand that there is still, you know, it's enjoyable. You know, we, we like it. So there is an element of enjoying wine for what it is and having it, you know, to share with friends. And I think, you know, yeah, I can't preach because I say it's been many times when I have probably overindulged. But I think, you know, as they say, a glass, you know, a glass of dinner and stuff like that, if nothing else, it's just a way of relaxing and, you know, unwinding and got to go with something. Very true again. And thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the show. I've got one more question, but before I ask the question, I'd just like to know what is your hometown? Uh, Yarm is my hometown. Well, I wasn't born here. I was born in Leeds, actually, and then we traveled quite a bit. We were kind of around Australia, Canada, and you know, a few other places in the UK. So I've always grown up with a love of travel because I've learned that you can kind of make a home wherever you go. I live now in Tadcaster, which is uh, just outside of York. So um, a little bit further away. I still have a place and I love Newcastle. And we had a pop-up there for a while and I absolutely loved it. And uh, and that would be always kind of a special place to me. But yeah, Yarm was where I... I went to, I guess I did all of my school life and my mates, like growing up in that respect. So just very briefly, in terms of offering, what do you think would really change the perception of wine in Teesside or North Yorkshire? Um, I, I think it would be really nice to see people move away from just putting the same wines on a list to make a set margin and and be willing to experiment a little bit more. Um, it comes with, they have to do a little bit more in terms of selling. When I was at the the merchant, when we sold into cafes and stuff, obviously we could sell the wines in because we know them, we know the producers, we're talking to the, you know, the restaurant manager, the restaurant owner, whoever, who decides the list and we can sell it to them and say, you know, try this wine, it's great. You've got this history, this history. It's like a Sauvignon Blanc, but it's not, so it's something different. And if they don't pass that information on to their staff, the person who sat down at the table looks at the wine list and goes, well, I have no idea what that is, so I'm not gonna buy it because we don't like it. It's, you know, X amount of money. Whereas I know this Sauvignon Blanc is gonna taste like this and I'm happy with it. So they tend to just go for it because they know it either that or it's done on a kind of the cheapest or second cheapest wine so to have people kind of do maybe more guest wines maybe have something that comes up as an offering where they say right we might not make you know a full percentage margin but we're actually going to be able to sell something a bit more exciting a bit um a bit more fun but give people a, a new offering and it's nice to see that there's there's a real sense of people embracing this natural wine movement up here and seeing people wanting to look for these less chemical ones you know less kind of big big additions and that's really nice to see that there is a support base here for it and yeah i guess just people willing to move out of their comfort zones and and try some new bits and pieces and it's one of the reasons why i'm trying to set up a subscription box at the minute which will come with um with tasting notes and some wine notes so people can learn a little bit more, but 
can also will decide the wines so that they they can give us a style like say i like crisp dry whites and we'll give them a range of stuff that they'll hopefully never have tried and i hope stuff like that might encourage people to then branch out a little bit more because they might not like every wine but hopefully they'll find some wines that they really love mm-hmm. yeah that sounds like a brilliant idea and thank you once again for joining me today fiona okay thank you it has been an absolute pleasure and to finish up i my show would not be the same if i did not do my quick roundup questions so first question what is the most recent film or series you watched podcast you listened to or book you read recent the recent series we've watched um actually well the recent film i watched was it actually sounds really embarrassing it's a little mermaid but not because it's, it's not an embarrassing film but uh, it just doesn't sound like you know i'm sure people come on with some great you know in-depth interviews but i'm still trying to learn italian because uh, my partner is italian and we're getting married there next year so i'd like to know a little bit more about what i'm what i'm saying when i say my vows and so i'm watching films that i know in italian with subtitles to try and learn it a little bit more and submerse so yeah i'm watching a lot of disney disney stuff at the minute with uh, with subtitles <laughs> a great way to learn a new language yeah what important truth do very few people agree with you on Ooh. good wine matters no they do kind of agree on that i guess um no it's i think it's more you do still get so many people particularly in, in the wine industry that kind of have a bit of a hatred of natural wines and they deem it just something that you know is is bad and you know they don't produce good wines and i think that's what i find the most frustrating part is that they think we're all going to have these funky cloudy unusual wines and you know i have a shop in a small town in north yorkshire if i had only those wines i wouldn't have a business but there are so many wines that taste like conventional wines that still don't need those chemical manipulations and that i think is one of the frustrating truths that i find is that people yeah expect them all to be odd don't get me wrong it's like anything that you do you can get a lot of crap and rubbish smuggled in under any bracket you can get it smuggled in under conventional wines you can get it in you know your classical wines and you can get it in natural wines but that's where our job is to source the good up from the bad and it winds me up when people in the industry automatically think that natural wines are like that yeah what is the biggest challenge you have overcome in your life oh gosh That's a that's a tough one. These are tough. I prefer the wine question. <laughs> well, I guess it's like everything is that you you always have some personal bits, you know. Uh, say one of the reasons I left London was because you know my mum wasn't very well. She had breast cancer, and I guess stuff like that makes you realise that you can still you can still change. You can adapt. I changed career, and you you grow, you move up, and you try new things, and you can you learn not to I guess sweat the small stuff because you can always change how how things are yeah it's not always easy but yeah well that's you learn how how to move on i guess yes and then what is the first place and or country that you will visit when lockdown has been completely lifted 
in theory, I'm meant to go to Spain next Thursday. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, so far we are on track to do it. Uh, okay. So it, it's meant to be for a, for a family wedding over there. So if we can still get there, it would be great. Um, so yeah, in theory, Spain. If, if it's not that, it'll be Italy uh, later in the summer, hopefully, to see some family. All right. And then what advice would you give to someone wishing to enter a career in wine? I guess any any career, no matter what, make sure you're, you're happy to do the crap side as well as the good. You know, I spent the majority of my time as a commie sommelier polishing glasses and cleaning wine bottles. And you have to do that to then get to, to the better stages. So, you know, you've got to be determined. You've got to be able to do quite a lot of self-reading, self-work, be able to push yourself. But do you know what? It's a fantastic industry. You can go anywhere in the world and meet people and they will be so inviting. Um, and you create like a little, a little family world where you can learn so much and people kind of really, really help you out. So do it, you know, don't, yeah, I guess don't worry, don't panic. You know, if, if it's something anyone wants to do, there's always a way around, around it. And I guess that's for any career really, you know, don't think it through. I mean, make sure it's what you want to do, but, uh, but then, yeah, it's a bit like this business, you know, we had times where we thought, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Can we pay the mortgage? Uh, <laughs> important and, questions yeah and there's like days where you think god it would be so much easier to just go get a job and, and have an income and and all of that but then you do it because you love doing what you what you want to do and so you've got to weigh up whether whether that will work so yeah i guess yeah but go for it it's good it's a good industry thank you for sharing your insights on wine and also life it's been really really great Thank you very much for having me and sorry it's taken us so long to get here. <laughs> Don't worry. I hope that many of our listeners will be able to savour each glass of wine more now and feel that cheer that it can bring to our lives. If you are interested in finding out more about the process of winemaking, it's very fascinating journey from grape to glass, be sure to read the company visual article. And Remember, you do stand a chance to win a £20 voucher to be used at 14 Drops so that you can savour their products for yourself. All you have to do is subscribe to my newsletter. A couple of things before we go. If you are interested in purchasing some of 14 Drops' superior quality wine, you can check them out on social media by searching for at 14 Drops or visit their website 14drops.com. They sell all sorts of products, including pasta, other dry stock, cheese and charcuterie platters, and then, of course, the wine. All the links are in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for listening to the show. One last thing, I have created a YouTube channel, so you can have a look at this. Subscribe if you'd like and let me know what you think. More information about the content that you can expect to see on this channel will follow shortly. For more about me and why I started this podcast, do check out my first two episodes. And then also don't forget, if you enjoyed this narrative journey, please subscribe and kindly spread the word by leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. 
or Spotify. By sharing the podcast episode and giving me a thumbs up on social media, these stories about entrepreneurs and community transformation can reach as many people as possible. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.